Boston University School of Law, recognized for excellence in legal education since 1872. It's the faculty. It's the students. It's the curriculum. It's the inspiration. Preparing students for the real-world practice of law today. Join host Dan Ray, BU Law alum and WBC 1030 radio host in Boston for this edition of the BU Law Podcast. Well, welcome on into uh, this edition of Boston University Law School Podcast. I'm Dan Ray, a proud graduate of Boston University Law School. Uh, too many years ago to mention, I'm a practicing lawyer here in Boston, also a longtime broadcast journalist, both with uh, WBZ Television and WBZ Radio right here in Boston. Uh, I run a talk show, radio talk show, Monday through Friday on WBZ Radio, 1030, Nightside with Dan Ray. And today on this Boston University Law School podcast. We're going to be talking with our guest about fiduciary law, the power of trust and honesty, the impact of new legislation, and her new book. So joining me today is Professor Tamar Frankel from Boston University Law School. Professor, welcome. Um, Thank you very much. Professor Frankel has written and taught in the areas of mutual funds, securitization, financial system regulation, fiduciary law, and corporate governance. Uh, She is the author of a a book uh, entitled Trust and Honesty, America's Business Culture at a Crossroad. That was published back in 2006. And most recently, a book entitled Fiduciary Law, published in December of 2010, where Professor Frankel examines the structure, principles, themes, and objectives of fiduciary law. Uh, Professor Frankel is a native of Israel, and she did serve in the Israeli Air Force. And uh, once again, Professor, uh, welcome to Legal Talk Network. Fiduciary law is a concept that started, I guess, thousands of years ago. If you want to talk about going back in common law, go back a long way. It's important protection for consumers today. In your new book, you take a look inside the world of fiduciary law, which you call the Constitution of Private Power. Can you give us a little background on the new book and also the the entire practice area of fiduciary law? All right. Um Fiduciary relationships do create private power, um, and they have three components. The first one is the fiduciaries provide expert, with, uh, expert services, such as medicine, money managers, uh, corporate governance, and therefore society will benefit if people rely on these experts rather than try to became, become experts in what, uh, in all these areas, that's really impossible. The second is that these experts cannot perform their services without entrustment of property or power. My broker cannot invest my money for me uh, without my giving him the money. My doctor cannot operate on me uh, without full control over my body. I call myself an entrustor. I entrust money and power to others. But the combination of entrustment and expertise poses for me and for others risks. It is the risk that fiduciaries will be tempted to misappropriate perhaps part of the entrusted property or abuse their power for their own benefit. But I gave it to them only for my benefit. I didn't give it to them as a present or for any other reason. But strict control over the fiduciaries will undermine the very benefit from the service. So law is designed to induce people to rely on fiduciaries by reducing these risks. And the law prevents fiduciaries from helping themselves 
to entrusted money or abusing the power that they were given. Well, you know, of course, um, today, and we have <laughs> we have seen in recent years uh, some abuses uh, of those entrusted powers. Uh, uh, people who um, hold and manage other people's res- other people's money, as, as you say, obviously have to be uh, very responsible people. But research now indicates that financial advisors uh, are at the top of the list in terms of public mistrust. Uh, the name Bernie Madoff would jump to mind, I'm sure. It, uh, it, it used to be the government was the uh, at the top of the list of public <coughs> distrust. Uh, now it is those uh, who we entrust to invest and protect uh, finances. How is the entrustor community or the entrustee community, I should say, going to turn that around? Well, uh, they, uh, first of all, we do need some enforcement of the law. We had laws on the books, but they were not enforced. The assumption was that the market would take care of it. Well, it did. It certainly did take care of it. The problem was the price that we paid when the market takes care of it. People have focused on how costly the regulation is. Well, we know now how costly no regulation is. So what we need is a balance, some balance between uh, regulation and non-regulation. How long will it take for people to, for entrust stores to really trust? It depends also on the management. It depends also on the fiduciaries. If fiduciaries say, we've done everything right, but it's your fault, the investors, you pushed us. It's the regulation fault, they pushed us. And besides, it's a competitor's quote, everybody did it, so what do you want me not to do it? Why would I lose? Everybody does it. So there are many justifications. What I would like to hear is some agreement we are responsible to. And so I think it is something that will take time, not merely regulation. It it seems like every few years something happens. Most recently, we think of the the Ponzi scheme of Bernie Madoff. But we can go back about 10 years mm-hmm. and we have the Enron scandal. Um, have right. we? What have we learned from Enron and have we really improved the situation uh, post-Enron, which then allows um, a, a Bernie Madoff to function as he did? Well, as a matter of fact, we've gone worse, not better. When you look at Enron, you find out that um, there are lots of people who lost their savings, who lost a lot of money. But Enron did not destroy our financial system and did not really affect our economy. What we've seen in 2008 is something much more difficult, much more serious, and that is the destruction uh, almost the destruction and the the destruction of our system. And also, uh, we are now uh, the world's debtors, yes, which we weren't. So the answer is Enron was not the worst. 
here in the U.S., it seems that these these events come and go. Uh, and, you know, Enron is a big story for a while. Bernie Madoff uh, was a huge story. Uh, and now he's in prison and the story has sort of receded. And I'm sure that there are other Bernie Madoffs out there. We really haven't placed financial expertise you know, we we license lawyers, we license doctors. Uh, you have to go to school for all of that. Pretty much anyone, it seems to me, can open up a shop and claim to be some sort of a an investment advisor or a financial expert. Um, so we have not, at least from where I'm sitting, placed financial expertise at the top of our priority list. Why do you think that is? And is it is it due to just simply a lack of education about how the financial investment system works? Everybody is invested now, even if they're not invested directly. Uh, but I suspect that more people in America know less about financial systems than certainly they know about many other things. And for example, like who's going to be playing in the Super Bowl? They know everything they need to know about the Super Bowl, but they know little about who's investing their money, how it is being invested, and how the financial market even works. One of the problems is I don't. Number one, I don't believe uh, in investors' education. Just as I don't believe that investors should be really uh, good, uh, educated in uh, in health. Yes, they should know not to eat too much, but that's about it. Uh, the uh, the financial system of the past was far less complicated uh, than it is today. As a matter of fact, I think we have innovations every minute. Uh, The complexity is incredible. So telling investors, uh, learn and and become educated is not uh, an answer. As a matter of fact, it does something uh, negative because then the advisor who is also a broker and an underwriter and trading for his own account and is uh, creating also some in uh, financial uh, assets uh, and betting against them as he's selling them. All of that um, is uh, is open. They can say then, hey, you are you know what uh, uh, the financial system is. You know what asset-based uh, uh, securities are. So now I can do whatever I want, and you have to protect yourself. Therefore, I don't believe in uh, investor education today. What I think investors should do is separate because it will not be separated otherwise. Separate their their seeking advice from the trading. So let them go to an advisor. Let them never, never, never uh, go to to free lunches. They are not free. Uh, Let them uh, get advice and pay for it. And then let them take the advice and go to a discount broker who gives them no advice whatsoever and say, do this. And then he will do it for a much lower cost. I know that it's a headache, but I think that in this case, it is the investors who can create a separate service, which will then serve them well. How is it different in other parts of the world? Um, I know that different economic systems were very capitalistic, free market-based system, but are there other 
uh, countries around the world who have better models for you know, tighter fiduciary laws that you would point to? It's sometimes a question of culture. Uh, there are a very advanced uh, economic uh, systems where borrowing is looked upon uh, very negatively. People who borrow are not really serious. If people create, if people uh, are bankrupt, uh, then that stays as a stigma for life. Uh, in that uh, kind of culture, uh, you you have bubbles, but they are very low, and you have crashes, and they are also low. Uh, in other words, it's a much more stable financial system, and I don't know what it does to others, but this is not American culture. We go all the way. And what we have to learn, maybe, is that everything can serve, can serve us and can kill us. Yep. Hi, hi, um, hi, Allow Dean, me hi just loss. to add one more word, and sure. that is food. If we eat too little, we'll die. If we eat too much, we will die. What we need is more balance in the middle. Now, apparently there's some recent legislation uh, which would move the protection provided by fiduciary law back to um, to the right place. Um, what Are there any hopeful, um, hopeful developments out there you'd like to mention? Yes. I think, first of all, Congress said to the brokers, you are fiduciaries. They said to the SEC, unify the regulation of advisors together and impose it on brokers. But the detail, or rather the devil is in the details. So what now is on the table is who is going to enforce uh, these uh, uh, these duties. That's number one. Number two, uh, the Congress imposed only uh, these duties on advisors who give advice to retail customers, but not underwriters, not to large customers, uh, for example, pension funds. And the question is whether you can have uh, a, an advisor broker who uh, makes a distinction, are you an in, uh, are you my advisee, but only privately, and you're not my advisee uh, when you are a pension fund, uh, there I can uh, deal with you differently. I am not sure that that will work. And that is now in the process of being established, and we will see what what happens in the end. There are lots of arguments by brokers uh, who want the least, uh, and what they say is, this is our model. It is full. It is chock full of conflicts of interest. But this is our business model, and I can understand uh, why it's a good business model, but maybe not for the advisees. We're going to take a, a quick break here. We're going to continue our conversation with Boston University Law School professor Tamar Frankel in just a moment. Located in Boston and steeped in 138 years of rich tradition, BU Law is number one in teaching quality, according to Leiter Law School rankings, and number three in the nation for best professors, according to Princeton Review. BU Law, 
Admitting students regardless of race, religion, or gender since 1872 and training them to become leaders in the law. Visit the website and see for yourself at www.bu.edu forward slash law. Now back to the BU Law Podcast with host Dan Ray, a lawyer, a veteran Boston broadcast journalist, and BU Law alum. Welcome back to um, this edition of the Boston University Law School Podcast. I'm Dan Ray, and my guest today is Professor Tamar Frankel of Boston University Law School. Professor, you have written books including Trust and Honesty, America's Business Culture at a Crossroad. That was published in 2006. And you now have a new book uh, in the works, Abuse of Trust, Con Artists and Ponzi Schemes. Certainly a lot to write about there. Can you talk just for a little moment uh, about your research that went into the new book, Fiduciary Law? Um, what I found, and that is what drove me in the beginning of the 2000s, is that suddenly I saw, I saw uh, dishonesty not merely uh, in the financial system. I, I saw, for example, corporations that uh, stole uh, information from other competitors. I saw uh, people who who were supposed to be uh, scientists uh, who based uh, their their finding on either purloined information or on on <laughs> information that didn't exist. I saw parents who gave the children um, age uh, a different age so that the children would be more successful in sports. Uh, I, I saw it in too many places. Employees who are stealing more or were stealing more. And that draws me to ask, what what is happening? Um, and what I saw is justifications. Everybody does it. Uh, we are pushed to do it. Uh, we'll be stupid if we don't do it. And then I inquired also into uh, how... Uh, how we can, uh, again, create some balance uh, between the desire to benefit ourselves and benefit others. And I came to the conclusion uh, that there is a role, a very important role, for uh, the managers and the leadership, uh, and they should uh, become more of a, a model on how others should behave. But if they are not the model the uh, people uh, who are led by them are going to follow them. And that is a problem. You know, my, my view, and I'm, uh, this is a personal view, I think that more of these people should see the inside of a jail cell, and I think that would be the, the primary uh, disincentive to, um, uh, to to basically engage in any sort of conflict of interest or, as you say, to get yourself involved in any cheating. But let's get back to the legislation. Isn't it uh, about implementation of the legislation the government now is trying to put in place? Uh, will these buckets of disclosure obligations do much to solve the problem? I don't believe that. I, it, first of all, uh, people don't read the 150-page uh, page, uh, disclosure. The more disclosure you have, the more you sink in it, the less you're going to read it. We have other businesses apart from reading that. Um, the only uh, 
place, I think, or the only aspect where disclosure may be effective is that for those who disclose, there are some things that if they have to disclose, um, they are going to hesitate. Uh, and therefore, there is some some activity that may not be done because of that. But otherwise, what I see, for example, is uh, the benefit is really non-disclosure, for example, insider trading, insider information. I want to know it, but I don't want you to know it. So to that extent, there may be uh, some value. But otherwise, I don't believe that. And we have uh, uh, some, some proof uh, to show people just don't study. Uh, what what, what about what about the, the the genuine con artists out there? I mean, the Bernie Madoffs of the world. There have to be more Bernie Madoffs out there who we don't know about. I know that your writings are focused on what we need to know as business people, entrepreneurs, and consumers. I I get that, but should the government not be more aggressive in ferreting out the, these con artists? Yes. Uh, but the aggressiveness should be, I believe that what the government should do is more examinations. They should visit, especially the large uh, uh, accumulation of money and managers uh, who uh, uh, should visit them more often. A friendly visit. Uh, but when you know that uh, uh, there will be a visit by someone who does know what they're talking about uh, uh, and what to ask, uh, then there are certain things that will not be done. And then you establish a habit, a culture of this I don't do. Uh, that's number one. I I would like also to see more uh, examinations and less going to court after the disaster. Uh, there are examinations that can nip in the bud a lot of uh, uh, problematic uh, activities at the beginning, not at the end. Um, so, and it would cost less because courts and and other processes of this sort cost a lot. And who wants to feed people in jail? I'd rather they didn't do it in the first place. So we have to change the culture. Okay. Um, just a, a one or two last questions. Uh, some experts uh, are able to produce um, higher res- return on money. Uh, I have never found one in my own personal experience, <laughs> but I'm, I'm told there are those people out there who can do it legitimately. What What are your thoughts on this? What would you watch out for? You know, I, I certainly think that whenever someone says to you, uh, oh, I can do this, this or that, if the deal sounds too good to be true, most of the time it is. That's right. But there are some people who are more astute uh, and uh, would succeed, but never, I don't believe, consistently. In other words, they can be successful for a certain, uh, maybe a number of years, not many. Why? Because the market is unpredictable. And they stick to a system that works in one situation, but when the market and environment change, and many other things change, more than the weather uh, then uh, they are they are not uh, 
uh, then something else is working there. And so I, I agree with you. I think that for a little while, that can work. But when you see for a longer period, consistent, like Medoff, consistent and more than the usual market performance, watch out. Uh, Professor, thanks so much for having joined us today. Um, Where can uh, people who may have listened to this interview actually get your book, Fiduciary Law, and how could uh, anyone contact you directly if they would like? My email is tfrankel at bu.edu. And if they want my book, it is published by Oxford University Press, and the date is 2010. And I'd be very glad to talk to them or see them. Professor Frankel, thank you very much for having joined us. And I want to thank all of you uh, who uh, took the time to listen today to uh, Legal Talk Network and to this edition, uh, to this podcast. And we will see you again at a, um, at a time very near in the future. This is Dan Ray on behalf of Boston University Law School and the Legal Talk Network uh, bidding you a great day. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the BU Law Podcast with host Dan Ray. Check out what else is happening on campus at bu.edu forward slash law.